Well, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me is Brad Hallier. And Brad, I guess the uh, the best place, at least the most logical place to start this week was after, of course, the the big game on Sunday, the Super Bowl, I believe it was 56 this year. It was the Rams and the Bengals. Uh, I went into the end of that week, you know, bummed out with the Chiefs not being there. And I just thought, you know, don't have a horse in the race. I just want a, a good competitive game. And from the divisional round, clear through the Super Bowl, that is exactly what we had. Every game was a field goal or overtime. Field goal win of course, for the Rams. Yeah, the uh, it, it was a good game. I mean, I want to call, you know, say I, I won't go as far as saying it was a great game or anything like that. I mean, it wasn't an all-time classic or or anything like that. But it, it was a good game. It was entertaining start, uh, start to finish. Uh, you know, you never really felt like the Rams were going to – I thought maybe if they didn't turn it over there in the second half that they probably would have been in pretty much control of the game. But uh, that definitely added to the drama and all that. But uh, overall, it, it was a good game. I, I want to classify it as a classic, though. No, I wouldn't say, you know, it goes into the great, but I mean, it was, it was better than, you know, a lot of Super Bowls, you know, you and I can both remember, um, you know, back where there was a stretch of years in there with, you know, the Broncos, um, the early Elway Super Bowls in there were just year after year lacking, you know, you had a three, four touchdown plus Super Bowl and you got really tired of that. So I, I was happy it was, it was so close. It was a, a fun game. What did, what did you pull out of what did, what did you find as far as the the big moments in this game? Well, first of all, and uh, and we hate to we hate to uh, bring up refing uh, Scott, but the missed face mask call was as bad well, as I mean. Can you imagine if uh, there wasn't any points after that, and, and the Bengals had won that? I mean, there'd be a lot of people to answer to. We're not talking about you know an inadvertent finger in a mask where he you know pulled it like two centimeters and you know it just like it just got lodged in there no that was a deliberate pull of the face mask that should have been 15 yards but you know I think uh for me the the really big turning point was the well I'm not sure if it was a turning point or anything like that but just Cincinnati's inability to build on that lead uh their, their defense was obviously playing well but all I kept saying th- or all I kept thinking was was that you know, other than a fluke 75-yard touchdown, you know, the Bengals have really done nothing, and I would actually be concerned if I was them right now because it looked like if anybody was going to go ahead and or, or score again, it was going to be the, the, the Rams. And uh, obviously, you know, Stafford turned it on when it mattered the most, and when they kind of abandoned the running game, I thought that was big as well because the running game, it just wasn't there for the Rams. And, then, with, and then when they pretty much abandoned it, I think that's when – uh, Stafford started getting more comfortable. The offense started getting more comfortable, and that's and actually it was probably one of their, their their last one or two drives where they did that. So, and and not coincidentally, they scored. Well, before we we move on to where you know some of the big points for me, you brought up the officiating. Obviously, that was you know the, the Bengals certainly don't score if the if a flag is thrown there. Um, let's go to the the other course officiating people are talking about is of course the Rams what turned out to be game-winning drive, the the third down pass interference call, then the subsequent first down pass interference call, and then the Rams, I think, scored two plays later. Um, my perspective, the, the third down one eh, was 
Super Bowl, I think that one is where you keep the flag in your pocket. Um, I thought that the one following that was was pretty obvious and had to be called. So even if the first one's not called and it does go to fourth down, you still get the first down on the next one, which I, I really felt was pass interference. Um, and other than that, I think we're talking about there was a play on the, the Bengals last drive where they felt like Aaron Donald was offside, and I, I didn't see that. Um, I think maybe that was the final play for the Bengals on offense. But um, overall, I thought besides those couple of questionable, well, the one bad missed call in the face mask, I thought really for the most part the officiating was was not bad. Yeah, no, it was fine. And, uh, you know, it's kind of weird, though, Scott, when you look at the NFL compared to, let's say, maybe college basketball, that oftentimes in college basketball – they try to – you might see the softer fouls called like in the first half or early in the second half as they try to establish, you know, the, the game a little bit, and then they'll swallow their whistles at the end. Doesn't it feel like it's almost the opposite in the NFL? It really does. I mean, I think, you know, we had a, several couples came over to watch the Super Bowl, and one of them was saying, okay, here we go. And he was right. I think that we had, what, three plays in a row there was a flag on, on that ramp drop. Um, and I don't know why um, that is. I, and I hate it in college basketball. You know, if it's a foul in the first minute of the game, it should be a foul in the last minute of the game. I mean, just consistent throughout the game. I hate that, you know, five total fouls in the first half, five in the first 45 seconds of the second half. I just, <laughs> I, I, I really hate that. I just ask for consistency. Well, and there's also the, the deal with off, uh, not offside, but false starts. Uh, someone brought up a couple of videos of uh, the Rams when it looked like that they had jumped the gun. I, actually, there's no question about that they had jumped the gun. Uh, I, I, that seems to be a pretty cut and dry penalty, doesn't it? I mean, they either move early or you don't. And there's a, I've seen that more and more though, where the where maybe two off or the tackles may jump, you know, a couple tenths of a second before the ball snap and they just let it go. But yeah, I. I uh, yeah, I, I agree. It'd be nice to see a little more consistency throughout throughout the game. Uh, if you're not going to call it in the first quarter, don't call it in the fourth quarter either. Uh, one of the big moments for me came actually pretty early in the game because after um, he, he had already caught a touchdown pass, I thought Odell Beckham Jr., they ha- had the look of having one of those 10-11 catch, 150-70-yard games the way they were going to him early on, um, it just looked like the Rams were really going to open it up. And then, of course, he has that. I never did hear the the extent of that injury. Obviously, didn't play after. It looked like just came down and his 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 foot or knee kind of bent awkwardly. It was an ACL. It was an ACL. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's how much I paid attention after the Super Bowl. You can tell. <laughs> um, I thought that was a huge moment because. It took the Rams a while to really get Cooper Cup involved, but I tell you what, Brad, that guy is a stud because that last drive, they found him. And how about? And then I think the biggest moment of the game, um, Sean McVay chooses to go for it fourth and two from his own twenty-eight. Yeah, and they run the fly sweep to Cup, and he cuts inside of that um, outside block on the edge, cuts it up, gets the first down. But Cooper Cup. After that play, that um, you know, you knew who Stafford was going to, and the Bengals still couldn't stop it. Right, and you know, Cooper Cup. Uh, obviously, when when OBJ went down, almost took it upon himself to say, "Okay, you know, I've got to raise my game now." And uh, he he obviously did that. And although I do feel uh, 
I guess I don't necessarily have a problem with him being the MVP, but I certainly felt like that Aaron Donald uh, would have been my choice. And did you know, Scout, that they vote on that, that all votes have to be in before the two-minute warning, which is absolutely asinine, because if you've got a close game like that where maybe you've got two or three people in mind, let's see what happens at the end. <laughs> well, I've got a perfect example, Brad. It's on a much lower scale, but the the first year that the Sterling Warriors football team made the playoffs after their first ever conference championship they went and played at baker on a cold day and it was a 7-7 game in the middle of the fourth quarter and they come bringing me a ballot for mvp <laughs> guys it's a we're tied who somebody might actually make a big play down the stretch and i might want to change my vote it's like you got to be kidding me there's like seven minutes left and they're wanting me to give an offensive and defensive MVP. It just, it's ludicrous that they, they want you to decide on that before a close game is over. Well, let's say that, you know, on that last drive, Donald gets a sack or something like that, but the Bengals maintain their drive and they kick a field goal and they go to overtime. And then let's say on that first, like, first drive, the Bengals have the ball and Aaron Donald gets a pick six or something like that. Uh, you're not going to give him the MVP just because he made two big plays after the deadline? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't. I. I. And with today's technology, Brad, right. that tallied so fast. It's just. It's. 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 It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how hard would it be just to tell media you have ten minutes from the conclusion? The, the 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 ballot opens for ten minutes after the Super Bowl. You got ten minutes to get your vote in. Yeah, that would be plenty of time. You know, they they have to get all the field ready and all that, and that that would be more than adequate time to to do that. But I think one of the things that we talked about before the game ultimately was a deciding factor. You and I both felt, and many people did that, that Rams defensive line in front seven was going to be much better than the Bengals offensive line. And in the end, I think they got um, Burrow sack seven. <laughs> and of course they made the big play on fourth down to end the ball game. So that was just a case of when, when, when the Rams offense needed to make a score, they did. And when the Rams defense had a chance to end the game, they did. And I really felt that that matchup was, was a huge factor in the Rams winning this game. Well, the Bengals actually handled it pretty well for the first, what, 29 minutes or so. And then late in the first half, the Rams made an adjustment where they started uh, stacking the right side of the line. And that's really when things turned around. I think they finished with, what, six sacks, one in the first half and five in the second or something like that. And they did an outstanding job. But, you know, once again, Scott, I got to say this, if the Bengals don't improve that offensive line expeditiously, uh, Burrow's career is in trouble. Yeah, it could be a short-lived career, yeah. I mean, and you just go back, how many times does the team that loses the Super Bowl, I'm not talking about um, loses in the playoffs the next year, doesn't even get to the playoffs. It happens quite a little bit um, in the history of the NFL. So, yeah, I think the Bengals, they've got, they have to, Obviously, they've got their franchise quarterback. That's obvious. They've got good wideouts. Um, they've got a good running game. Their defense is solid. I, I think uh, I think you're going to see the Bengals an active uh, participant in free agency. And when their draft pick comes up, I, I've, I've got a feeling that they're going to go offensive line, and they should. Yeah, that's probably going to be the, the most obvious place for them to go. Yeah, How about a little trivia question, though, speaking of the Super Bowl, Scott, and speaking of the Bengals? All right, let's, let's... – all right. In the history of the Super Bowl, there's only been three starting quarterbacks, quarterbacks who started the Super Bowl, lost, 
and later made it back, started, and won a Super Bowl. So this doesn't count maybe someone who lost a Super Bowl like uh, a Drew Bledsoe and made it back and won as a backup. So that, that doesn't count. They had to have started the Super Bowl, the started their Super Bowl debut, lost, made it back as a starter, and won. Okay, well, let me see. Lenny Dawson would have been one, right? Very good. Yeah, you got that one right away. Absolutely. Lenny is one of them. Okay, um, let me... If you, if you want a couple uh, hints, just let me know. Well, um, I'm trying to, to move forward a little bit. Obviously, i got to move forward um, to think of who started their first one and then came back and won. Obviously, Dan Marino would have liked to have been on this list and was not. But you're, but you're in the right era right now. I'm in the right era of Dan Marino did um, – now, Steve Young only got to one, so it wasn't yep. Young. Um, same quarterback class as Marino. Same quarterback class as Marino. That was well, – it was John Elway, of course. Yep, John Elway. That's would've, two. That would have been the second one. Yep. And let me – I'd, impre- I'd be impressed if he got the third one, but uh, it's it's a little bit older. It's a little bit older. So, yes. so essentially between Elway and Dawson. Elway and Dawson. Um, so that would have put it probably would, – would Kenny Stabler have been on that list? No, nope, good guess, though. Okay. Um, boy, that's the one that's a little bit tougher. I was trying to think of <laughs> team yes. that had been yeah. there quite a little bit. Um, well, you actually already uh, mentioned uh, – well, not directly, but you uh, this uh, this quarterback played for the same franchise of another quarterback you've already mentioned. Oh, so that had to be well. Obviously, it wasn't the uh, wasn't the Chiefs. Um, 49ers, Montana never lost. I mentioned the Dolphins. Yep, there you go. Was it the Dolphin? Oh, so was it? Um, oh, who was their quarterback back then? Was it uh, Greasy? Yep, there you go. Bob Greasy. Okay. That's actually quite a remarkable piece of trivia, Scott, especially when you consider that two of them uh, happened a long, long time ago. And really, if you want to consider the modern era, that only John Elway has done it. Wow, that is pretty impressive. Kind of makes me sick that Elway did it, but yeah. (laughs) I still throw up at night about that, but... um... So, and did you see who the early money is on for winning the Super Bowl next year? I have, and uh, I don't know how they can do that when you haven't had free agency or the draft. But you know, uh, they do that because they're going with a quarterback uh, and a quarterback who's been there and, and has done that. So, you know, Kansas City's have been very, very close to four Super Bowls. So why not uh, give them the early nod? So I, it's hard to disagree with, but uh, too early for me to say. Well, and other other thoughts. Uh, your thoughts on the uh, the quality of the commercials and the quality or lack thereof of the halftime show. Uh, the the you know the halftime show. I was actually a, a Dr. Dre fan growing up, and I kind of like Snoop a little bit too. I didn't recognize. You know, I wasn't much of an Eminem fan. Just really wasn't my. Uh, I don't know. It just wasn't my thing. But uh, actually, liked uh, Dre growing up and Snoop a little bit too. So. I thought the first part was kind of cool when they were out there. And as far as the commercials are concerned, uh, the, the Lay's commercial I really liked a lot uh, <laughs> with the, the reminiscing and the road trips and the, and, and the wedding and all that. Uh, that was what Paul Rudd and uh, – oh, who is the other one? 
Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, uh, uh, Scott Rogan, I think, wasn't it? Uh, I think you're right. Yeah, so uh, that, that that was probably my favorite one right there. As far as uh, not a fan of the halftime show, the only M and M's I like are peanut. <laughs> and uh, as far as the commercials, I, I thought they were as a whole a pretty good letdown. The one I think I appreciated the most was the uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the electronic dog or the solar powered dog or whatever that was. You know, he, he ran out of energy, and the guy charging his car was able to charge him up and. They were able to ride off together. I thought. I thought probably that was the best of the commercials that I saw. Do you remember the one that had the QR code? Oh, vaguely. There was a. It was really early, like the first quarter, where there there's a floating QR code on the screen on the screen for some thirty seconds, I think. And uh, obviously, they want you to go scan the QR code and go to their website. Uh, they obviously didn't consider the number of people that would be potentially <laughs> uh, uh, scanning that QR code because it crashed their website. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, uh, so again, the Super Bowl in the book. But one thing while we're on the NFL, then we'll move on to other topics. Uh, the Pro Bowl, of course, was the week before the Super Bowl, Brad. And um, uh, I tell you what, the, the, the Pro Bowl, I, I wish they would just put flags on them and be done with it and go out and play a flag football game because the, <laughs> the Pro Bowl it does not even resemble – football um as it's supposed to be and i think these guys still get paid somewhere in the amount of probably what you and i get paid for a year to go out and i'm going to say participate in this exhibition because that is not football i i I hate the pro bowl i can't remember the last time i watched it and i just saw a lot of people getting on on social media complaining about it and yeah it's 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 not football it's it's ridiculous as a matter of fact the i think we talked about this last week but you know really the only uh, also, our game that really has any merit left is is Major League Baseball and maybe to a certain extent Major League Soccer because they play, you know, a European team uh, barnstorming the country before they start their season over in Europe. But overall, I mean, Major League Baseball is about the only one with any kind of uh, validity to it anymore. It is. And that's, and a, and that's assuming we even have one this year. And I saw a, a great idea. And, and if you want to have the Pro Bowl, so I think they should just do away with the game completely. Have your Pro Bowl selections, and you know, and you get your bonus or whatever it is. But this was the idea: instead of having the Pro Bowl, let's have the team, the two teams with the worst record in the league, play each other. The winner gets the number one draft pick for the next year. Yeah, that. Yeah, that, I would have. I wouldn't object. Yeah, are, are you trying to tell me that people actually wouldn't tune into that? Of course, they, I, I'd watch that. I would watch that. Who, who wouldn't watch that? I think that would be a fascinating game. I mean, it, it, it's not going to work in reality, obviously, because who? If you if you were a three and thirteen, you're, does it mean you're going to when are you going to play the game? If you're going to play it when the Pro Bowl was, you're going to have to stay in season for another three weeks before your game and teams that you know, miss the playoffs aren't going to want to do that. But say you took a week off and then played it maybe somehow around the playoffs, you know, on a Monday or a Tuesday night, I think people would watch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's a great idea. Actually make it a, make it a Monday night game or even a Sunday night game. Uh, Have, have something on the line, kind of like a, a a virtual playoff game, you know, have something on the line for those teams that, that, you know, that way you can't completely tank and get the first pick. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic idea, and we'll maybe we'll try to to push that forward as we go toward <laughs> the next NFL season. Well, let's talk about the uh, Kansas Jayhawks a little bit, Brad. Um, 
They've played uh, three games now since we last talked. They were actually playing Texas when we last recorded. And after this last week, Brad, um, I am going to go curl up in a fetal position. If KU has a seven-point lead with under a minute to go the rest of this season because it's been a disaster and a near disaster um, in those last two circumstances. They blew the seven-point lead against Texas, never scored, I don't think, in the last minute, lost by three, and then had the seven-point lead against Oklahoma and barely held on for the two-point win and then just drubbed Oklahoma State um, back, back early this week on Big Monday. So uh, strange, kind of a strange week for KU, and then they get an all-time worst uniform in the win against Oklahoma State with the 1922 throwbacks as well. Yeah, they're actually supposed to be gray tops and white uh, shorts, but they couldn't wear uh, gray tops, obviously, being the home team. They had to wear white. And, uh, you know, a, a part of me is concerned because you also got the uh, double over double overtime win against Texas Tech where Kansas blew a 12-minute lead in the last four or five minutes. Uh, you have the Dayton game that Kansas uh, actually trailed for most of the way but came back but didn't finish very well. So there have been a, a few instances where Kansas, uh, you know, just it just hasn't been pretty down the stretch. And, you know, with uh, some some big games coming, you know, Kansas currently has a game-and-a-half lead on Baylor. And uh, it's really at the point now where if Kansas just holds serve at home, and I, I think if they hold serve at home, and then when one of their three remaining road games, the worst they could do is tie for first. So, you know, their home games are against uh, K-State, TCU, and Texas, and they'll be uh, obviously favored to win all three of those. And, uh, you know, if they go out and beat West Virginia, which they'll be favored uh, to do that as well, really uh, really the only game that should concern you if you're a Kansas fan is going to Baylor. So, uh, but, you know, Baylor, again, they're a game and a half back, and the half game belongs to Kansas. So, but, yeah, uh, closing the games, I tell you what, uh, you know, you do that in March, uh, there, there is no next game. There is no, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll learn from this and move on. Well, you don't get that, ch- you don't get that chance in March. So, yeah. I, I, I would like to see, Scott, maybe I would like to see, you know, DeWan Harris have the ball in his hands a little bit more because he's a good free throw shooter. But even like Christian Brown didn't shoot free throws very well uh, against uh, against Oklahoma. So just kind of a weird game that was. Yeah, it, it, sometimes I just can't. I haven't gotten to see a lot of KU play this year. A lot of times I'm calling games or they're on a, a, a night when I'm, I'm not at the house, but it's a strange team. I can't quite put my finger on obviously a, a really good team. When, when they're on, they can be for sure. Anybody in the country, um, David McCormick's looked really good down the stretch, um, last several games. So, uh, what do you think about some of the guys that are starting to work in the Clemens and those guys that have started to log a few more? Well, Zach Clements, I think can be credited with, uh, the win over Oklahoma because, he came in and shut down that uh, oh that that that's that lumberjack guy from Oklahoma. Uh, his name his name escapes me right right now. Oh, I'm not going to be any help there. Either. Yeah, uh, but Clements came in and shut him down and even hit a big three pointer. So uh, you know, Bill Self said what he said about Zach Clements is you know physically can he hold his own in the paint? Not really. But you know what? It's not going to be from lack of trying that he's going to go in there. He's going to bang around. He's going to do everything he can to to you know, atone for his, uh, you know, not being quite as big as some of the guys he would be playing against. Plus, he gives you a little bit more of a dimension with the ability to hit the three pointer. So I do like Zach Clements to play, you know, 
Some games you might see him only four or five minutes, but you know what? You might see him 15 to, tw- 15 to 20 minutes in other games. Like if Kansas would play a Gonzaga, that might be the kind of, kind of game you see Zach Clements come in and play 25 minutes in. Yeah, Gonzaga always big and physical and always, always playing those late games. You see them on at the odd time out there on the West Coast. But KU now this weekend goes to a team that's really struggling. But West Virginia's overall record is just 14 and 10. They got a recent loss to Kansas State. Um, but you know, they've been shooting the Terrible. You know when they go out there, West Virginia, somebody's going to get hot. Uh, so at any time on the road in the Big 12, I think I think that's going to be a little bit of a tricky game on Saturday. I think West Virginia has established themselves as probably the worst team in the Big 12 this year. But you know that they're still going to be uh, – offensively, they're terrible, I think. But uh, they're, they're still going to be good enough to at least compete. Uh, I, I, I can't remember if it was Baylor or Tech. One of them went out to Morgantown. Five minutes left, they were losing. So – it's, it's going to be, you know, you know that Huggins, he's got $25,000 on the line every time he plays Kansas, and you know that uh, <laughs> it, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a, 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 an intense environment, 7 o'clock tip-off. Uh, you know that West Virginia will bring it. Uh, it's, you like to think Kansas can go in there and take care of business, you know, win by 10 or 12 points, but you know what? I think West Virginia is going to make it a game. I, I do as well. I, th- I, I think KU will come away with the win, but not going to be surprised if, you know, you get to that under four timeout and it's still a, you know, four or five point ball game wouldn't surprise me at all. And of course, all the KU games you can listen to on hit radio 94.7. Uh, before we leave the major college basketball, did, did you see earlier this week, uh, the Iowa state women, have achieved the highest ranking in school history. I believe they were up to, I think it was number six this week in the NCAA women's rankings. Of course, local product from Central Plains High School, uh, Emily Ryan, um, playing a lot of minutes for Iowa State this year. I just thought that was a, a really nice boost for, you know, you're used to seeing the K-States of the world and those teams get all the headlines out of the Big 12. But Iowa State is really, really good this year. Yeah, they're really, really good. And uh, coming up here on February 23rd, they they come to Lawrence to play a Kansas team that has surprised a lot of people this year. This is the most Big 12 Wednesday passes 2000, and they're not on the bubble anymore. I mean, they're firmly in the tournament right now. I can't remember what the last I saw where their seed was looking like. I think they're somewhere between right now the 8 and 10 line which means a few losses and they'd be back on the bubble. But, you know, Kansas has been very good this year. And I'll tell you what, that's going to be a pretty good crowd coming up when Iowa State comes to Lawrence on February 23rd. Yeah, I was actually the night that the uh, Sterling High School played Central Plains over in Claflin. We didn't have quite as big a crowd. It was still a nice crowd, but I was also told that was the night that Iowa State was playing K-State in Manhattan. So there was quite a few people um, from the Claflin and Claflin area that had gone to that game. So um, I think that <laughs> we're kind of happy about this, that Emily played in the Big 12. Well, at least, you know, that she'd be in Kansas twice. And then, um, you know, even if you wanted to drive down to even Norman or um, Stillwater, you'd see her play quite a little bit. And I think, yeah, I think that's going to be, for a women's college basketball game, I think that's going to be probably near packed house in Manhattan. Or in Lawrence. Yeah, Lawrence. Yeah, you're. You, I mean, you could be seeing ten thousand fans in Allen Fieldhouse that night or more, and that would be just great. I mean, I think Kansas, 
has long been kind of a sleeping giant in women's basketball. And when I say giant, I'm not talking about a national championship contender, but I'm talking about an annual top 25 team. And I don't know if they have the right coach or not. He's been there for several years. And this is, you know, the first year he's broken through. But if he can maintain this level of uh, consistency, you know, watch out for Kansas women's basketball. They could actually be uh, the kind of team that wins 2025 games a year and makes it to the tournament. Well, we will keep tabs on the Big 12 women a little bit as we get closer to March Madness. Well, the madness continues for the Sterling College Warrior women, Brad. They had, well, well, let's start off with their one game, which was now a week ago Wednesday. It was a game we talked about on our podcast that week that the Lady Warriors, with a win that night against friends, could seal their second straight regular season championship which is exactly what they did with uh, after trailing by six and playing really really tight in the first half I think they wanted so badly to win it at home they just came out really tight shot the ball really poorly trailed by six and just absolutely laid the wood to friends in the second half one 83 to 60 but it was a extreme high and extreme low as during the game Bailey Albright, the, the star senior for the Lady Warriors, non-contact knee injury. It turned out to be a, a torn ACL and meniscus, and she is done for her career for the rest of the season for the Lady Warriors. So, boy, I tell you, it was a, they cut the nets down afterward. There was a huge crowd. It was a, it was a great night, but you felt, you felt a little hollow in the pit of your stomach when you left the gym that night. Obviously, you never want to see injuries happen, Scott. And, uh, you know, for someone like Bailey Albright, you know, who's given her heart and soul to Sterling College and, uh, you know, her sister, her family actually given their hearts to, to the college and uh, go down as some of the greatest players that the college has ever had. And for her not to get the chance to, uh, you know, play in one more tournament uh, in AI and maybe make a run to the Sweet 16, it's, it's, it's gutting. But, um, you know, it, but at the same time, no one in the KCAC or in the NAI is going to feel sorry for Sterling, so they got to keep they got to keep playing. Yeah, um, it's such a sweet girl. I tell you, those those twins are just the nicest um, young ladies you'll ever want to meet. Both got married um, this past year, so uh, you wondered how how would they respond? Of course, obviously, she went down in the first half, but the way they responded in the second was. Uh, incredible. Everybody stepped up and boy, they have played two games since then. They went to York on Saturday, which was against one of the bottom couple of teams in the conference and just drilled them 100 to 66. The scoring was well balanced and then came back and played kind of middle of the pack McPherson team with the outstanding center, Brittany Roberts. And I've got the stats up from that game, Brad, which is now just last night. They just ran away from McPherson 90 to 61. I tell you, Taya Wilson, um, the stat line she had from the game against McPherson, 23 points, 11 rebounds, six assists, and five steals. I mean, just she possessed Corinne Clayson just on the roll. She had 20. Emily Hendrickson in 16. Bethany Stuckey, 15 points. Uh, five rebounds and just like you like we talked about when this happens everybody else has to step their game up just a little bit and um, it was also a real emotional game they started six players Bailey was kind of an honorary starter and was introduced with the starters and then they put her in 
for one play and then took her out as a senior. So an emotional night, but I tell you, they have responded really, really well so far without her. And that's good. I mean, that, that, that's also a sign of a mature group and a, and, and a coach who knows what she's doing. So uh, I, I can't say I'm, I'm terribly surprised by this at all. I mean, there's still a lot of work to be done before, um, you know, March Madness comes around starting with Saturday against Oklahoma Wesley, and then you got the KCAC tournament. But uh, it's I, I'm not surprised in any capacity that they responded the way that they have. Tricky game Saturday. I will be going to that. If anybody wants to listen to that game, it'll be – 145 pregame, two and four o'clock tips on 95.9 on Saturday. Oak was a tricky team, gave them fits in Sterling. Sterling won, I think, just by seven in the the earlier matchup. And the crazy thing is, Brad, it looks like when they start tournament play on Wednesday, it will be against either Oklahoma Wesleyan or McPherson. Yeah, the last two teams that they played. Two teams that they just played. Yeah having to, if they win Saturday, having to beat a third time, which, you know, I, I hate that. It's, that's a tough thing to do against solid teams, but um, that's, what, that's what they're looking at. Uh, the men's side of the equation, Brad, it, was, uh, it was a rough one against friends, 78-60. to 60. Then they had another opportunity on the road to win a game. We're in it the entire way against York. Just couldn't get enough things done down the stretch. Lost 87-81. And last night on senior 81-69, they lost. There was a a fantastic moment at the end of that game. Lucas Breyer actually started for the Sterling Warriors. Of course, he, he tore his ACL in the first minute of the first game of the season. Um, he committed a token foul, which did not count. And he went out, but he went back in and was 17 seconds left in the game. They got him a three-point shot. McPherson didn't even uh, try to defend him. It kind of spun out on him, missed a little bit, and the one of the Bulldogs got the rebound. He looked out at Lucas, tossed him the ball, and then Lucas drains a three before the buzzer. So it was, <laughs> it was great sportsmanship. I mean, they they knew the situation. They you know those players know what happened. So. Um, that was kind of a special moment, um, but boy, Brad, the Warriors staring 0-24 in the face to play number six, Oklahoma Wesleyan, who beat them 120-62 to in Sterling. That's, that's their task Saturday, and then probably at Ottawa on um, Tuesday to start the KCAC tournament, and boy, I tell you, against two of the top four teams, Brad, I, uh, it, it's hard to see this doesn't end 0-25 against the KCAC. Man, it's it, it's hard to talk about sometimes, Scott. I mean, it really is. Uh, I mean, it's 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 a broken record, and you know, you you, ju- you just hope that they can salvage these next couple games. And you know, I mean, uh, if you want to be an optimist, I mean, they gave Ottawa a pretty good game last time. They so did. you know, if you but it, it was at home, one on the road. The game at Ottawa was was ugly. So you just you just hope that they can maybe, you know, maybe not necessarily Saturday, but the first round of the KCC tournament that maybe they can just be competitive. You know, going to halftime down seven, you know, under under 10 minutes, you're down eight, you know, under five, you know, you're, you're still within shouting distance, you know. Uh, and it's March. Stranger things have happened. But uh, at the same time, Scott, I think this would be one of the strangest things if uh, Sterling would go out and win. Yeah, and it's really overshadowing. Darian Reed is having – we talked about it last night with the coach. Um, he is playing at a 
all-conference level for the Warriors. Now, because of the lack of team success, he's not going to get selected as a first-team um, all-conference player this year, but he is really playing at that level, and, it, and it, it's a shame that's kind of get getting overshadowed by the fact that they're they're not winning. Yeah, that's and that's too bad. But you know, you see the that it's always good to see those kind of uh, stories from these teams that are struggling. I recall in two thousand six when the Hutchinson Community College football team went winless. Uh, they still had a second team All American running back on the team who was just outstanding that season, just remarkable, you know, just a workhorse. And it, it, it's still good to see those kind of guys get recognition. You're, you're right. Uh, first team, probably not. Maybe not even second team. But, you know, you got, you got to credit still where it's due for these guys who continue to play off the string like that. You know it's not easy to go out there every game thinking that they might lose. Yeah, he, he just – he's fun to watch, and he's giving it his all every night. And um, we'll, we'll see. We'll know that. Uh, we'll know that sometime next week those all-conference selections will come out. So, again, it's at Oklahoma Westland, 2 and 4 o'clock on 95.9 this weekend. The men Tuesday, probably at Ottawa. You'll tune in to their website for coverage of that game, and then the women will start and play the eight seed, or, well, the, the winner of the opening round game. Looks like probably either Mac or Oklahoma Westland um, would be coming up. For the Sterling women at 7 o'clock Wednesday on 95.9 to start tournament play. Well, high school basketball, Brad, we are rapidly approaching sub-state. A couple of games that are already in the books I wanted to talk about. I tell you what, Brad, uh, over in Bueller, that had to be quite a sight earlier in the week. Mac at Bueller went overtime. Uh, Bueller found uh, another way to... Uh, beat McPherson yet again this season that that was I tell you it's a Mac team that they, I think they went in I think you said the record was eight and eight going into that game but uh, it was a classic and, and Bueller just again is proving how good they are they're still the number one right now seed in the west standings in class 4a yeah leading by half game over Pratt and Bueller does have the half game but uh the the, the schedule it gets a little bit light here down the stretch. Uh, they play Augusta coming up, who is seven and ten, and then they I think they also get. Uh, let me go back to the schedule here. Winfield, who I don't think is very good. El Dorado's decent though, so a, a potentially tough game there. And uh, hold on, just one more. Let me check one more thing here with Winfield. Yeah, Winfield's looking at not, not even making Substate at one and sixteen. So uh, I'm sure that they'll welcome maybe uh, a little lighter, a uh, little light uh, in the schedule, but. At the same time, boy, I, I, what this Beaver team has been through this year, just playing uh, quality opponents almost every night, it seems like. They've won two overtime games over McPherson and Collegiate. You know, they've beaten Andale. They've beaten Circle a couple times. Uh, it's, it's, a good, it's a good Beaver team that's going to be very well tested for postseason. But, Scott, how about this? You know, McPherson is the 11th seed right now. Wow. <laughs> can, can, can you imagine, you know, being in that situation where you're uh, a six seed and you got to play McPherson, no, I would not want that situation. No. <laughs> As a matter of fact, a couple of McPherson wins, they could get up to the nine line, and you know what happens if they're on the nine line? They play the one. They could play Beeler in the in the Substate Championship game, Becca Jim Baker Fieldhouse, and boy, if you thought those first two were, had a great atmosphere, that <laughs> that one might top them all. That one surely would, and that. Sneaky suspicion. There, there. I think there's a maybe a average or better av- than average chance that sure 
could happen again. Um, this Friday night, uh, Inman Little River boys uh, will play over in Little River. That's an interesting game. It's a Little River boys team. I think that it's just got they got healthy for one coming out of football, and I think they are playing much much better. Um, Inman stumbled a little bit against a couple of really good teams. They're they're trying to hold on to a home game in their sub loaded sub state. Um, how do you see Inman Little River boys breaking down Friday night? Well, that wow, well, what a great matchup, huh? I think so. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's just outstanding. We're trying to bring up Little River's uh, uh, what substate are they in? They in the Burton? Yeah, there they are, thirteen and five. So, and, but they're on a roll. You know, since losing the Inman by eight back at the uh, Burton tournament, they haven't lost, and they've beaten some good teams along the way. You know, Central Christian's playing really well right now. Uh, they they you know, smashed uh, Illyria Christian. Uh, good win over Kenton Galva that you and I saw. So, uh, you know, Little River's playing pretty well right now. Yeah, I'll be – I'm very curious. Inman's so – they're, they're more athletic than this Little River team, but then Little River's got some some good shooters. They got the Barola in there at 6'5". Uh, it, I, I'm going to be very curious when, when the scores start coming in to see how Inman and Little River fare here on – Friday night, and then we've got um, tons of action for you uh, next week as we will have uh, action on Monday. I'll have Halstead at Hillsboro. Uh, that was a very, very good girls game the first time around. Halstead actually picking up the victory over Hillsboro, and that'll be Monday on Kicks 106. Uh, looking through Tuesday's schedule, let's talk about our game on Tuesday, Brad. Kicks 106, we'll have Heston at Haven, um, very intriguing two matchups. The Haven girls, after struggling early in the season, they're starting to play a lot, lot better. And this could be maybe a little glimpse. These two, I'm not sure how they will. They're in the same sub-state over at Nickerson. I, I think the way the seeds will play out, it's unlikely they will play one another in sub-state. But this could be a really sneaky good girls game. You know, uh, we, we all know that Heston and what they have. We know what Haven and they have. But sometimes it can be kind of lost in the shuffle a little bit when the CKL is so good. And you got, you know, what, the teams like Nickerson in there. And then Cheney's in that substate as well. And there's some really good teams in that substate. But I don't think we appreciate just how consistent Heston and Haven are. Uh, you know, I think these last couple of years, people kind of thought, oh, Heston's down a little bit. And, you know, they, they've been right there the entire season. As a matter of fact, Scott, you know, they, they, they gave Central Plains a decent game, lost by 14. Uh, they gave Nickerson a decent game for a while. They only lost by four to Garden Plain. They held Nickerson in, a, in, a, in the first matchup of the season to just 35 points. So it's a good Heston team under Coach Matt Richardson. And, you know, Dwight Roper's got his team playing pretty well right now. They've won three in a row against good competition, including a win over Hillsborough. They beat Pratt. So it's a, it, uh, Dwight Roper's definitely got his team playing their best ball right now. And on the boys' side of that equation, Haven has a good team. We know how good Heston is. They just recently avenged their one loss of the season to Hillsborough. They got them at home in a tight ball game. Um, does that 1-3-1 have enough magic in it for us to see an upset on Tuesday night? I don't know if it's enough to see a matchup, but I wouldn't be surprised if this was a competitive game all throughout, Scott. I mean, we know what Haven is. I mean, they're 12-6 and six right now. They got length. They've got athleticism. Is it going to be enough to get a win over a seventeen and one Heston team whose only losses to to, to Hillsboro? 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure I quite go that far, but you know what? I still think this is a quality Haven team that is going to provide some problems come postseason, and they could provide some problems for uh, for Hessen next Tuesday too. Yeah, and uh, again, I'm not sure exactly how. Not looking at the standings right now, um, they could meet. I think Haven's going to be right in there as a, kind of a four-five C. <laughs> Right on the edge, they could certainly see this matchup once again in Substate over at Nickerson. It's, I think that's a maybe a pretty good likelihood. Well, Cheney is uh, undefeated right now. Cheney would have to lose to drop below the one line, and I don't think that's going to happen. So Haven would uh, potentially be on the opposite side of the bracket to Heston. Boy, I, I, I mean, Heston Collegiate in the semifinals? Are you kidding me? That's a, that's a state semifinal matchup, man. Yeah, and I think and we we're going to get the privilege of being at that Nickerson Substate, um, so that's that's going to be a ton of fun. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And again, if you want to look at our full schedules, they're all up at adastroradio.com. Just go to the sports page, and you can see all of the final games coming up of the regular season with Substates just about a week and a half away. It's at Getting to that magical time of year if you are a basketball fan. Well, Brad, let's talk a little baseball. Um, they came out, I believe this was last week now, where finally, and I will put exclamation, underline, expletive, all that in there with this, Major League Baseball for effective this year. Whenever this year starts, remember, they're still in a lockout. The DH is going to be a universal rule, meaning – the pitcher will no longer be required to bat in the national. My only question is, why did it take so long? Oh, there's uh, there's your baseball snobs out there who think it's a superior way. Hey, if you, if national league teams think that their way is better and, and playing and hitting with the pitcher, then I say use it. Go ahead. Yeah, put him in there. Yeah, that no one's going to object it. If you think that's the way to play baseball. Knock yourself out. But on a, on a more serious note, Scott, I do think this is a good uh, move for Major League Baseball. You know, they're, they're having a hard time. They're, they're shooting themselves in the foot a lot, you know, with the bad TV deals and contract disputes and now lockout. Uh, you know, f- fans want to see offense. That's that's pretty obvious. So let's add a little bit more by having a universal DH. And we could be uh, pretty close to having more of a schedule like what we see. And we kind of already do, uh, like the NFL where you kind of play like one division every year. And we could be seeing more of that. Uh, and we already kind of do see that in Major League Baseball. So uh, it, it's just breaking down the barrier between the American League and the National League and a more universal game, which across all forms of baseball, all levels, that's what you, you see it, Scott. It's just a matter of time before DH come, was going to come around a, a, a for the National League. So I'm glad to see that that's going to be part of it. And again, at least they are talking again. Um, there's speculation that spring training certainly is going to be delayed. I haven't heard anything um, regarding the start of the regular season yet, so hopefully um, they'll, they'll get it together and, and baseball will begin right there at the end of March, 1st of April, um, as it normally does. But wh- while we're on the topic, Brad, um, I, I, I've, I've come up with a plan to fix Major League Baseball to where the schedules are equal and we have the most balanced and best playoffs you can come up with. So are you ready for my plan for Major League Baseball? Yes. All right. So, um, again, the purists may not quite like this a little bit, but here's what we're going to do. There are uh, – what was the biggest complaint 
when they started having the wild cards for Major League Baseball. Do you remember what that was? Uh, from, from whose perspective again? Well, what was the biggest complaint um, of teams that were competing for the wild card spots? I don't recall. Well, it was, um, you know, the years that the uh, division, let's, let's take the AL East with how good the Yankees, the Red Sox, um, and years the, the, the Rays and the Jays are all playing in that AL East, and they're all playing so many more extra games against the Yankees, against the Red Sox, because you know it's not balanced that those teams were competing for that same wild card spot like a team in the AL Central, which has traditionally been weak, the Royals division. So people were saying, well, this, this is an equal playing field. You know, we have to play the Yankees 10 more times than you do and the Red Sox 10 more times than you do. How's that fair? Okay, so, so my plan addresses that. So first thing we're going to do is do away with divisions in baseball. So we got 15 American League, 15 National League team. Pretty simple there. Okay, in the American League and the National League, you are going to play seven games against each of your league opponents. So you're going to play four, four at home. Say the Royals, they're going to play four at home against the Tigers and three on the road. And then next year, that'll be reversed, where they only play three at home and then four on the road. Okay, so that's seven against each team in, in the league. So that's seven times 14. That is 98 games. You're going to play four games against all of the opponents from the other league. So the Royals would play every national league team four times, two at home, two on the road. That's 60 games. That's your regular season. That is 158 games. So every team has played an identical schedule as the teams they are competing with for playoff spots. I'm going to expand the playoffs to six teams. It's going to be the top six records in each league now if you and uh, the obvious tiebreaker is you've played seven games against all of your um american league or national league opponents so you've already got your tiebreaker head to head right there if there is a tie for any of the spots so the top two teams will get buys the other four will play in a wild card round of best three out of five you'll move into the divisional round those two winners you'll reseed the top seed plays the lowest seed remaining, and the other two play another three out of five series. The AL and NL championship rounds will be four out of seven. And then, of course, your World Series will then be four out of seven. So by expanding the playoffs, an extra three out of five series, your owners are going to make up those four games that you lose during the regular season. And then... And it's as equal as you can get. Everybody plays the same schedule. You'll have the best playoffs and the best champion of the World Series. I guess my only concern with that would be a fr- the, the wild card round being for a three out of five because then the top seeds are going to be sitting potentially for up to a week uh, before they would play for the regular season finale to their first playoff game. And you're playing a team now that has not only momentum but has just played anywhere from three to five games. So – uh, but uh, other than that, a great proposal. Maybe the wild card round could be two out of three, or maybe that's maybe, fine. Yeah, or, or or potentially even just one game. But uh, yeah, I think it's uh, I, I I'm all for I'm all for shorting the regular season. To be honest with you, Scott, it's never going to happen. They they uh, end up making the season even longer. But uh, I, I would be in favor of, of shortening the regular season, even just by a few games. I think that that's a good idea. And 
uh, I don't think you'll ever see. I, I think your I think your, pro, your your idea, Scott, makes too much sense for it to happen, though. <laughs> I mean, even if you wanted to keep the divisions and you could so have a so-called central division champion, you could go, you know, the best record in the central is your central champion, but it's no longer going to guarantee playoff spots. I mean, that's, okay. that's going to go to the top six records because you're playing the same schedule. Yep. Everybody else. So the top six teams would get in. And I just think that would balance things out as far as teams that, like I said, those years that that AL East was so loaded you know, well, heck, we got to play the Red Sox. You know, if you were the if you were the Blue Jays, well, I got to play the Rays, the Red Sox, and the Yankees like thirty more times than you guys have to. You know, that was always the argument. So, um, I should p- type that proposal up and send it um, <laughs> to, to whom it may concern. You think they would? You think they'd look at it? Well, probably not because uh, they're too busy bickering between billionaires <laughs> and millionaires right now. But, <laughs> but no, I, I think overall, the it, it's a pretty good idea. All right, so that was the last of the uh, regular topics we had for this week. So if you don't have anything to add, we can move on to our final thoughts. Well, I'm going to share another Title IX story, this being the 50-year anniversary of Title IX. And uh, in 2007, Scott, I had to actually go back. I can't believe it's been this long. I spent my day down. It it was uh, May 5th down at Twin Rivers Sports Complex in Wichita. It's uh, primarily a, so- a softball complex, but there's some soccer fields there as well. And I was covering the Region 6 softball tournament uh, that Hutchinson was playing in. They had lost their first game, th- or they had won their first game the day before, so they were you know, still in the winner's bracket. But then they lost their first game of the winner's bracket. So you know, the, the season could be over with the next game, or you, know, you, you cover the next game, and then you cover the next game, and if they win. Well, what, what happened that day, you know, of course, I, I get down there for the first game early in the day against Johnson or against Dodge State. They lose 4-3. And then I think I had a little bit of a break before they had their first elim- elimination game. And it says here then they beat KCK 7-4. I think that game started at about 4. So in the 6 o'clock game, Hutch was playing again against Allen County. They win that one 7-5. And then before they could start their last game, they had to wait for their opponent, uh, which was Pratt because they were playing a, 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 on another field. And then the skies opened. Mm-mm. And it just started raining buckets. And it would not stop raining buckets. And I think that game started somewhere close to maybe 10-15, 10-30 or so. And I was treated to one of the wildest games I'd ever seen as Hutchinson beat Pratt 12-11 to in nine mm-hmm. innings. <laughs> so here's how the game uh, should have ended. So Hutch is uh, the home team. And it's at the bottom of the seventh, and they got the winning run at third base with one out. And they're, they're, one of their top hitters hits a high fly ball to deep left field. You're thinking one of two things, home run or sack fly. No matter what, the game is over. That, that's all I'm thinking. Thank goodness. I don't have a lot of time to write this, but the game's about to end. His left fielder catches the ball at the fence. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw it, Scott. The runner at third left too early. Oh, and I, I saw it, and and you know that Pratt's probably going to appeal it no matter what, and uh, they did. Umpire called her out. No argument even from the Hutch coach. She just Jamie Rose just started walking back to the dugout with her head down. She she knew it. We all knew it. Could not believe it. <laughs> two innings later, uh, Hutch has the bases loaded. I think with two out, and uh, they have a girl come up and just hits a screaming one hopper right at the second base. When one of the hardest hit balls I've ever seen, a short hopper. 
and went through the wickets and Hutch wins. And I remember Jamie Rose, who, if you don't know Jamie, she's this tiny old thing. Uh, I, I, I jokingly call her Beverly because in the movie A League of Their Own, Tom Hanks calls the tall girl Beverly. He's like, hey, you tall girl, what's your name? Beverly, okay, yeah. So I call her Beverly because she's so short. <laughs> and she was chasing the runner coming down third the third baseline home, screaming the whole way with her fists pumped and all that. And it was just one of the most remarkable games of softball I'd ever seen. Drama, just the the, the hitting, the, the freaking rain that came and just messed everything up for my deadline. But seeing them win that game and seeing how much it meant to Jamie Rose, chasing that uh, runner down the third baseline, screaming the whole way, it, it, was, it was pretty cool, man. Well, and you know, the most relieved person in the stadium was, of course, the, the, the runner that left third early. Who, if I'm not mistaken, also scored the winning run. Oh, how is that for redemption? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so, oh, gosh, Scott. I mean, when, when everybody saw her leave the base too early, I mean, what can you do? It was so obvious. It's like you and I, when we talk about it on basketball, on a, uh, a moving screen or something like that, if we see it, it's obvious. Well, if I see someone leaving third base too soon, it's pretty obvious. But, man, that ball was hit to the fence. I mean, she, <laughs> she might have been able to tag up from second base. <laughs> oh, those, those have been very, very good stories. Uh, for my final thoughts, I'm going to go to – it's a little bit twofold. I'm going to go back to the, the Lady Warriors, Brad, this past uh, week. Emily Hendrickson, a, a young lady that you and I both know, got the privilege of watching her in high school and- – had the privilege of watching her the last three years play at such a high level for the the Lady Warriors, and she had passed the thousand point career mark for her entire college career, which would include her one year at Cloud County earlier in the season. Well, I think it was in the York game this past Saturday, she eclipsed one thousand points in less than three full seasons as a Lady Warrior. So now she's kind of a, a career, and now. Um, a lady warrior over 1000 points, you know, and I thought that was so cool. And what made it even better is I saw a post on uh, Facebook, which was about a week and a half or so ago uh, for also at her church being baptized for the first time here, just about a week and a half or two weeks ago. So here's, here's a young lady that I've, I've so enjoyed getting to know a little bit and she's, she's out there wearing her faith on her sleeve and just, a smile on her face when she plays basketball. Um, she's on the floor uh, more than than my dog is when he comes in the house because she takes so many charges. I mean, she is just getting drilled in games, and just the, the the feisty little player and the nicest young lady you'd ever like to be around. Just wanted to kind of give that shout out to um, you know showing her face and just becoming the latest member in the thousand point club. Um, at Sterling College. Yeah, I've known Emily quite a while, going back to her days at Haven, watching her play basketball and softball, and always gracious with her time. And I see her around at Fun Valley sometimes, and she's always got that ever-present smile. But she's such a she's such a hard-nosed competitor, Scott. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to cross her in, in a basketball game. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons I would take Emily Hendrickson on my team is if there was ever a scrap, I got Emily Hendrickson that's just going to take care of it by herself. Yeah, so she's been... He's been one of the many pleasures of watching um, this current uh, Lady Warrior team. And again, back in action on Saturday. Well, that does it for this week's uh, View from the Press Box. Again, the entire Ad Astra schedule at adastraradio.com. 
and the sports page. So again, join us for next week's View from the Press Box. But for tonight, for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. Have a great evening.